focused on the pressing and emerging needs in human resources and learning and talent development. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Now, here is your host, Diana Thomas. Welcome to another episode of Talent Champions. I'm Diana Thomas, and I'm honored to serve as your host. Today, my guest is Tony Bond. Tony's the Executive Vice President and Chief Innovation Officer at Great Place to Work. That's got to be such a cool job. He previously held leadership roles in marketing and diversity and inclusion at Allstate, and he likes to focus and research and consult on business culture. So welcome, Tony. Thanks, Diana. It's great to be with you. Looking forward to this conversation. So before we get into today's topic, maybe you could share a little of your background and what brought you to the role that you're in today. Sure. I'm happy to. So it's kind of a wonderful journey that I have gone through to get me to where I am today. You mentioned uh, briefly Allstate, and I started my career with Allstate Insurance Company. Actually, I was in corporate finance, and so I spent most of my time there, but Allstate has a great way of developing leaders, so I had a chance to spend time in sales and marketing and uh, doing some things around diversity and inclusion. And then I had a sort of a career change many years into Allstate where I actually started to do some corporate sustainability work. It was like the height of the really focus on sustainability from an environmental perspective. And so I was fortunate to be able to do some consulting work in that area, really kind of looking at the life cycle analysis of products and helping companies figure out how to create more sustainable ways of working. And one of the things I noticed is that there really wasn't a focus on people. There was a lot of conversations around the environment, a lot of conversations around doing things right for the economy. But the conditions within workforces and really focusing on the sustainable side of the humans in, in work was not really something I saw a lot of focus on. And so at the same time, I was able to connect with Great Place to Work, and that brings me here. And so I'm excited about being a part of this mission we have. Such an interesting career path to go from corporate finance to this really cool title of being the chief innovation officer. So who came up with that title and what does the role entail? Yeah, that's a great question, Diane. It it is cool. So uh, it is a real title. I think there's this role in many organizations. But I would say who came up with it for me, it was uh, Michael Bush, the CEO, and my boss, as well as myself, just kind of sat down and looked at some of the things that were happening in the industry and where the focus was. And we just felt like we needed to really have a strong focus on innovation. And so my actual title is Chief Diversity and Innovation Officer. It's been tweaked a little bit. Those two go hand in hand, but really it's uh, something that we uh, saw with the market trends going towards, how do you create a more innovative culture? And so that role for me, a great place to work has both an internal and an external focus. Wonderful. And I have such a great respect for the work that you do. I think about when I was leading learning for McDonald's Corporation, and we benchmark with companies that had achieved, you know, the status of being awarded a great place to work and looked at your research and just so inspiring. So maybe you could fill our audience in a little bit if they haven't heard about this fabulous company and the awards that you give out, uh, or they just want to learn a little bit more. Hmm, definitely. So I will start by probably sharing with our mission because everything is driven by our mission. You know, we have a strong mission and that's to build a better world by helping organizations become great places to work for all. And so we truly believe that 
We spend most of our time at work. So why not make it a place where people can flourish, not only be productive in the work environment, but also leave work feeling energized and excited and, and just be a, a better parent, be a better friend, be a better community mem member. And so that's our mission. The way the recognition started, uh, we're fortunate. We've been doing this for a long time. So actually since 1998, we've been the data scientists behind the Fortune 100 best companies to work for list. And so that's really the highest level of achievement when you think in terms of the recognition that we offer. Uh, we also, a few years ago, started recognizing companies as being certified great places to work. And so a certified great place to work, we're basically saying that roughly seven out of 10 employees are consistently experiencing this as a great place to work. Whereas the 100 best companies, the benchmark is even higher than that. We've also expanded our list. And so we look at, you know, who's creating great places to work by geography. We look at it by demo certain demographics. And we also look at it by industry. So it's our way of kind of moving our mission forward. And we know that partly what we can do is to discover and recognize exemplary organizations who are really creating these great workplace cultures and bring that to the world and, and allow others to be exposed to how they do that. So that's kind of tied to our mission, but that's really what our recognition programs are all about. Okay. I think you get the award for the best mission. That's probably one of the best ones I've heard, connecting people to what they do and to make the world a better place. So it's going to be really cool and inspiring to work for a company that has that kind of mission, not just that they have it, but they live it. Yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, you just pinch yourself every day just knowing that you're doing such meaningful work. Uh, and we know that that's what other people and other businesses are looking for, just to have work that creates a deep meaning. And I'm just fortunate to be a part of the team at uh, Great Place to Work. Yeah. It's funny. My youngest daughter is looking for a new job. She just relocated areas. And she was going through some of the companies. And one of them had that they had been awarded a great place to work. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you've got to apply there first. You know? <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally get it. I travel quite a bit. And uh, sometimes I have my backpack that has the work, Great Place to Work logo on it. And I'll be tapped on my shoulder by a young person saying, you know, I want to work for a great place to work. And so, yeah, it's a great title and it has really deep meaning. Yeah. So maybe let's drill down a little bit. What makes a great place to work? And maybe you can help share some of the measures that companies use to assess their workplace. If you think in terms of how we started and we really analyze uh, places that people were working to try to figure out when they say it's a great place to work, what really contributes to that feeling. And so what we discovered is it's all based on relationships. And there's like three key relationships. And if you get those three right, more than likely you're gonna create a great place to work. So first and foremost is the relationship that employees have with leaders, their managers or leaders. And within that relationship, the key element is trust. And so we look at, is it a trustworthy culture? And how does a leader demonstrate trust or, or uh, commit uh, to being a trustworthy leader. It's really around being a credible leader. People view me as being credible, you know, have a view of where the organization needs to go and how to get there. They also see that I'm a leader that shows respect for everyone in the organization and also respects me for not just as an employee, but as a person. And it also just creates a culture of fairness. And so those are the three things that really make the culture a trustworthy one. And that's kind of the key to how we measure a great place to work. But then we also know that there's other two relationships that are important. The relationship I have to the work that I do 
it needs to have deeper meaning and I have to feel that it's connected to a higher purpose. And the last but not least is how I feel about the people that I work with. So that relationship I have with my colleagues and teammates, to pull those all together, that's really how you measure a company from our perspective as being a great place to work. So I think if a company can kind of have their own way of doing that, both quantitatively and qualitatively, uh, we have tools, our own tools that we use, but when you're surveying your employees and you're looking for the relationship in those areas, that's a good way to measure whether or not you're creating a great place to work. And for our listeners that were frantically trying to take notes and might have missed something, we'll make sure as part of the link we send out with this episode, we give you that information because those are some great things to think about. One, if you're in a company right now as a talent champions to kind of think about, you know, those three relationships. And then on the other side, if you're looking for a great company, maybe you want to ask some questions about those areas to really see, you know, what the uh, company is offering and if you want to work there. Absolutely. That was a great point, Diana. So how has the awards program evolved over time? I mean, have things changed as far as what is what makes up a great place to work? And have you been making changes to the award program? Yeah, so we actually, uh, over the last several years, have made significant changes to the awards program. I would say those things I described earlier, those elements of trust have main, have remained pretty constant. But how you go about doing those things and how you create those uh, feelings from employees change over the years. And so one of the biggest things changes to our methodology or our awards program is even years ago when we had best companies, it didn't necessarily mean that it was the best company for everyone in the organization. So if you look across all demographics, you can see some variances. Executives, much better experience than frontline people men a much better experience than women so what we decided is it was no longer okay for it to be a great place to work when you have those variances across demographics and so now the way we evaluate a great place to work is to look for consistencies across demographics and so that's one thing that we have kind of doubled down on over the last several years we also know that certain things are really important today in a workplace innovation fostering a culture of innovation uh, the effectiveness of your leadership in many different ways, not only creating strategy, but creating a resonance and a connection to that strategy with people. And so all those things have sort of been filtered into our methodology and, and it's, it has changed quite a bit over the years. And we try to make sure that every single year we're taking a strong look at it and refreshing it where it needs to be refreshed. Yeah. And as you were saying that, I remember looking into this award because we were trying to determine, you know, one, what kind of things were included in the application. So people should get familiar because even if you're not ready to apply, but learning what's on the application is such a growth experience. But I remember yeah. working in the headquarters of McDonald's and we were looking at the application and it it was like twofold. I was so impressed how you survey people down to the front lines. And then the other side was, oh, goodness, they survey all the way down, and we are a huge company, and you have to have that consistency, like you said, across demographics, across different uh, levels, scoring high to be in that category. So, I mean, you can't fake it or, you know, just put in a really nice application and get this award by any means. 
Yeah, that's so true. We're looking, that's probably one of the bigger changes we've had. Is we're looking for not only depth, we look from the top all the way down, but we're also looking at breadth. And so no longer are we looking at maybe a random sample of employees, but we want to get as many employees if we as we can get into the survey process so that we can know what, how the experience is for everyone. So uh, we're looking at a full census of people being involved in the survey. The last thing I'll mention is we know that inclusion is so important that that continues to be a main focus for us, just making sure that we're recognizing companies who are doing an outstanding job of being building an inclusive culture. That has such a soft spot in my heart because I really believe those companies that allow people to bring their whole self to work really get so much better um, productivity and engagement from their employees. So I love how you've included that and made it such a central part. Right. So to our audience members that are saying, wow, you know, I don't think my organization is ready to look at that level. We're excited because you're here and you're so willing to share some of your information and what you've learned with us. So maybe start with what cultural trends are you seeing in the organizations you work with? You know, both the positive and maybe some of the negative as well. Yeah, I'll start with the positives and maybe the negative is just the absence of these things that I'll share. But uh, one that we see a major trend is fairness in the workplace. And so fairness can involve a lot of different things, can involve opportunities, it can involve pay. But what we're finding is that the trend is that these organizations on the positive side who are doing really outstanding things are really focusing on how do we create this culture of fairness. So they're looking at you know equity across the organization. There's also a trend I would say around innovation. If you ask CEOs what's one of the biggest challenges or one of the things that are top of mind for them is how do we create the conditions where we can continue to innovate and get better at what we do and be competitive in the marketplace. So a trend is to really have a strong culture of innovation. And it's not just a kind of the traditional view of innovation around research and development, but it's more about creating an environment where people can have their ideas heard and actually be able to execute on those ideas. So fairness and innovation are two things that we're seeing that's kind of a positive trend in the, in the industries that we work with. And then the last but not least is really around, it all comes together, the glue that holds it together is around management. And so we're finding that leaders are being much more transparent, honest, uh, they're viewed as being ethical because people are living in a crazy world today. And one of the things they hope is that they can come to work and their leaders can help make sense of not just what's happening in the workplace, but also what's happening in the world. And so leaders are stepping up and being more trustworthy in how they interact with employees and actually helping employees make sense of some of the crazy things that are happening in the world today. So that's the trend I see, a positive trend that we see in your organizations that we're working with. I love the broadening of the definition of innovation. So typically, one of the competencies is, you know, what are you doing individually to take innovation, creativity to the next level, new ideas and stuff like that. But I really like what you talked about is that you create this environment where people can have their ideas heard and executed on That's That's pretty cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. And we see it as a driver to the overall experience. And so when we ask people if they've had those opportunities, they are more willing to advocate for the organization and, and say great things about the organization. 
They feel like their productivity is better. They are actually are more productive. They also uh, indicate that they're more agile. They're ready for change. And so just the, the mere fact of engaging people makes a huge difference. When you talk about leaders are stepping up in these areas of fairness, innovation, and management, can you share some best practices with our talent champions, things they might be able to try to create within their organizations? Yeah, you need like systematic and, and continuous ways of getting ideas from people. Uh, that drives innovation. But these leaders are stepping up and they're having these one-on-one meaningful conversations with their employees. And a lot of those conversations are driven by the employee. So the leader is able to take a back seat on advocating for things and, and sharing their point of view, being more of a facilitator, asking questions and getting ideas from people. And so that's a simple thing. It doesn't cost any money. It may take a little bit of time, but leaders are sort of changing the dialogue they're having with people and being less in the role of advocating for things, but actually asking those key questions. And so that pulls people into innovation. Mm-hmm. We see that as, a, as kind of a best practice. We also see that leaders are, leaders are carving out time for employees to have conversations around things that are top of mind for them. And some of that has to do with things that are happening in the outside world. Because we know that the employee doesn't just check in their personal selves when they come into the office. So the leaders are allowing them to bring their whole selves to the office and be able to have conversations around some issues that maybe are challenging to them. So those are just kind of examples of things that we always think in terms of a great place to work is around benefits and perks and things of that nature. But there's so many things you can do that doesn't really cost you any money. It's more about having a commitment to spending time doing those things. And we find that those are the levers that kind of create the greatest results in a great place to work. Yeah, I love that, creating that engagement with your employees because you can work for a company of great benefits, but if you don't feel engaged uh, and appreciated and valued, people just are not going to stay around based on what I've seen. Right. They won't. They'll find other places for sure. So I have a question. Does high turnover automatically indicate that a company isn't a great place to work? I don't know if it automatically, but yeah, it's, it's a good sign that maybe there's something going on there because we know that if we look across different industries and compare a great place to work to the industry average when it comes to turnover, uh, the turnover could be half the rate of the industry average. And so there are things within a great place to work atmosphere that creates more of a stickiness. Employees want to be there for a long period of time, regardless of their, you know, age or and things of that nature. If they're getting the experience that I'm describing, they want to be there longer. And so I would say that that is a really good indicator of a great place to work, or it's a sign that there is a great place to work when people are staying. But you do have scenarios. I would say turnover isn't, it isn't an absolute because you do have people who have kind of quit and stayed. Uh, they're not getting what they want, but for whatever reason, out of fear or just not knowing what to do, they'll stay in the organization. And that's probably worse case than actually leaving the organization. So while it's it's an indicator, I won't, it isn't the only indicator. If people turn over at a high rate, it does say something about the culture. It could mean that it's not a great place to work, but there are a lot of people who stay aren't experiencing a great workplace culture and they've kind of quit on the job. 
And you know, when you and I were talking, you were saying one of the roles that you have is you help consult with organizations that want to improve their work environment and the engagement of their employees. And so when you're consulting with a company that has high turnover, are there specific things or a couple best practices you'll tell them to start doing or looking at? Yeah, and I would say uh, consult is a good word, but we sort of look at it as advise. And so we have strategic advisors to work with clients. And it starts with a lot of basic things. If you look at your mission and your values, and the question you want to ask first is, are we recruiting and hiring people that match our mission and values? Because you have to make sure there's a good fit. Even if I'm trying to build something and I'm building something that I believe to be a great, great culture, if I don't have the right fit, it, it's eventually going to lead to turnover. So that, that's one thing that we advise people to do. And then also to have a pulse on what the experience is like for people. I mean, you really need to, uh, at least annually, but maybe more frequently through pulse surveys, measure the experience that people are having and take that as one of the most important metrics in your organization. And so you want to survey people, get their feedback, and op- that opens up a dialogue. It's not the final stage. It just creates this opportunity for me to have a dialogue with you. And so if we really want to kind of address those issues, we have to make sure we have data first to really understand what's going on. And at a higher level, also make sure that we know that we have values that are not just things on the wall, but they have meaning and we're hiring people based on those values to make sure it's a good fit. So I think if you start there and then really dive in through collecting data, that'll eventually lead you to where you need to focus on from an employee experience perspective. We've had a couple episodes that we've talked about fit, you know, cultural fit, job fit. So I love that, you know, you continue to emphasize, you wanna make sure you bring people in that are a good fit with your values, with your mission. So I I love the emphasis on this. And then you brought up this pulse survey, and I don't think we've really explored that much in past episodes, so maybe we could spend a few minutes here. I love how you talked about knowing what your employees are going through, and this is a great indicator to start some discussion. Because one of the things that I've found, and especially as I'm coaching my executives in my uh, business, the higher you go up, in an organization, the less you really know what's going on on the front lines and who's doing what work. So you get information and you get data, but to be able to go spend time with those people and be able to get honest feedback, which is sometimes challenging because people can be intimidated by your role, your title, or their bosses are intimidated and they've already coached you. Make sure you don't say anything bad, right? So I love the focus on really doing these pulse surveys, engagement surveys, and then doing something with them. So maybe without mentioning names, you could give us some examples of what some great companies are doing with that information once they get it. Yeah, they have a tool. So you're collecting the data from employees. You want to engage everyone in having an opportunity to have their voice heard in the survey. And then first and foremost is you have to properly thank people because they're spending time to share their views on their workplace experience. And that's almost like gold. And so you want to treat it as gold and you want to acknowledge the fact that, you know, they've taken time and and given their input where where it works in great companies. They thank people 
first and foremost. And then they actually share some things based on their interpretation of the results. I'm really excited to learn about X, Y, and Z. You know, it makes me feel good as a leader to know that we're creating a culture of fairness or whatever the results may indicate. And then I am concerned on the other side that we could do much better job in these areas. So I want to be transparent and share how I see the results after I thank people. And then last but not least, I want to make sure they know that I'm not taking the mindset that I'm going to fix everything for you, but collectively as a partnership, we're going to come up with some ways to address these issues. And we're committed over a long term to make sure that this gets done. So thanking people, acknowledging what you took from the results they've given you, reinforcing the fact that we're going to address these things together, and then also reinforcing the fact that it doesn't change overnight. It's a long-term journey, and we'll do this together. If you approach it from that perspective, normally you get really good results uh, as far as connecting with people, turning things around, and making the process feel like it's a shared process, not a top-down process. Wow, that is some terrific, very powerful advice. So I would make a note for all of our listeners that, you know what, as somebody who's who was in HR for you know, 15, 20 years and then led a lot of organizational teams, that is some fabulous, fabulous advice because I've seen people not do that where these surveys are done and people never hear anything about it. And then people are like, mm-hmm. why bother give honest feedback? You know, so I love the, yeah. the thinking and acknowledging, you know, the results and interpreting or sharing your opinion, both the positive and opportunities. But what you said was so powerful, I believe, based on situations I've been in is collectively let's address the issues because I think sometimes bosses will take this on and you can't fix everything and you shouldn't because if this is going to be a collaborative evolving workplace everybody has to own it right I I love that yeah and I would always ask the question whose body of work is this it really is the ownership of this or would be the employees because this is basically a a collective view of their experience And so it's a kind of an aggregate view of their experience. And so they are, in my opinion, the owner of this body of work. And so I'm just kind of a steward trying to help us navigate on how to make this experience better, Uh, not to fix people and fix things, but to work with people on creating better solutions. Fabulous, fabulous perspective. Love it. So let's maybe focus a little bit on generations uh, because... There's a lot of research out there that talks about millennials aren't turning over as quickly as people believe they are. There's still some stereotypes that are running around about millennials. So maybe get your thoughts on just some of the generalizations about generations in the workplace. Right. Now, I know there's a generalization that millennials hop around and don't, won't stay anywhere very long. Uh, maybe there's some truth to that, but what we find is that when they're experiencing certain behaviors from leaders and when they have a certain environment that they're working in, they're just as likely to stay at an organization as a boomer, baby boomer. So it's really understanding and they bring some unique needs uh, that other generations may not. So it's really upon the organization to understand what those needs are. Uh, Just on the surface, we know our data tells us that they have the lowest overall satisfaction as far as their workplace experience of all the generations. And so 
baby boomers are much higher than millennials. What we, what we know is that I think millennials are like 44% of the employees that are in that age category feel like they work at a great place to work. Uh, Gen Z is around 51%. Gen X is, I think, around 48%. And then boomers are 51%. So that's kind of the normative study of the average population. So you'll find that even with boomers, only half of them feel like they're working in a great place to work, but only 44% for millennials. But what we know that if when you create a great working environment for millennials, it, in our database, it's up to like 87%. So you could assume that they're not going to be around a long time, but if you really understand their needs and meet those needs, you have an employee who will probably want to work there longer than anyone else. So that's what we're seeing from, from the millennials. And there's things that they're really interested in. They want leaders who really develop them as individuals and also develop a team. So they're, they're looking for that in a leader. They're also looking for a leader that fosters inclusion because this demographic is probably the most diverse of all the others. And so they also are looking for an organization, a leader that facilitates creativity. So if you get those things right, then you probably are, have a really strong chance of having someone in that population that will stay for a long time. Such interesting uh, research and, and figures that you're sharing. I tell you, as a leader, the last team that I led, over half of the team was 35 and younger. And so we had mm -hmm. a lot of millennials. And they made me a better leader because, like you said, they have a really good handle on what they want in a workplace. And they have some high standards. But they're not afraid to speak up if you create that environment where you respect and you want to hear their opinions. But I tell you, we made some changes based on some creativity that they brought to the table that I know I couldn't have thought of myself. And so, right. you know, I think if leaders look at them as a resource to make them a better leader and create a better team, it really can be a win-win. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I Totally agree with that, Diana. They also have an orientation that maybe that's a refreshing one for us because they, they really want to work for a social enterprise. They don't have to choose between a nonprofit and a for-profit. They want to be able to go to an organization and make a difference regardless of you know the type of organization. So they create a higher conscious within the organization of doing, the, doing things the right way and taking care of all stakeholders in the, in the process. So there's a lot we can learn. And I think it's by 2025, 75% of the workforce is going to be in this age category. So we really have to understand them better and to uh, leverage the gifts and talents they bring to the organization. Nicely said. Great, great perspective. I will add, though, there, there are some unique challenges. I didn't really speak to the challenges, but we know that debt burden from school debt, sometimes underemployed and not able to meet those obligations, having to live at home longer, wanting to start a family and, and, and buy a house. Those are some challenges that they're facing right now. So the great workplaces understand how to care for them and, and really address some of those needs along the way. And I, I think that's really important part of making a great place to work for millennials. Do you have any other recommendations on how companies can use this research about generations? Uh, just generations overall? Yes. Yeah, I, I think it all goes to uh, 
having the data is one thing to me that's 2d having the conversations to make sense of the data brings it to 3d i really understand it deeply and so i would say regardless of what generation you're looking at uh don't make like blind assumptions but actually use the data to drill deeper through conversations and engagement to better understand people. What's one common thing that companies overlook that could make them a great employer? Does anything stand out? For me, that would be uh, the power of consistency across leadership, the, the impact that has on creating a great workplace experience. Because you can think that uh, it's okay to have a, a so-so leader here, it's okay to have a great leader over here, and. It's okay to promote people who are technically uh, efficient. They're strong technically, but they're not really a people person. You really have to think long and hard about the leaders in the organization at every single level. We, we call them for all leaders. They're leaders to create they do the conditions for everyone to flourish. And so just by having inconsistency across your leadership team, it can really derail what you're trying to do as far as building a great workplace culture. One thing that's overlooked, I think, is the impact that inconsistencies across the organization from a leadership perspective, the power that has changing the workplace culture in a not so positive way. I think sometimes, especially if it's been challenging to find somebody to put into a leadership role, as I talk to different HR professionals, they say, well, you know, they've got most of the package. We've got to work on their people skills. And that always makes like the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I'd rather you be working on some technical skills or something that doesn't show up as much. Because to me, that's the game changer is how a leader can connect with their people. It is a game changer. Yeah. And a lot of leaders will find themselves in a place of uh, being people leaders because that's the way to make more money or that's the way to advance in your organization. But really, I like the technical side of things, but I find myself in this role and that doesn't do that leader or the people they're leading any good. And so, yeah, the, having the right priorities when you're putting people in a leadership role, I think that's, I know the companies do a good job of it, but you really need to do a great job of that. Yeah, that's that's such an important part of your own career advancement because the same thing people I, when I coach people they'll say, "Well, my next level is the people manager." And I'll ask mm-hmm. them, "So are you excited about that? Does it give you energy when you're interacting with and leading people?" Well, not really. Or you're coaching somebody that's like, "I'm just exhausted. I had to lead these people all day long." And you really need to take a hard look at if that's the right career choice. If you don't get energy and you're not excited about being in charge of people, because there's a group of people that are, and that, I think that makes them more successful. Right. Absolutely. Okay, I love asking this question because we get such great uh, responses. <laughs> is who's had the greatest impact on your professional life, and why wouldn't you be where you are today without that person's influence? That's a really powerful question, and I had to think, you know, long and hard about that. And I remember starting out my career at Allstate Insurance Company, and I was in a management training program where you actually get exposure to all different parts of the organization. Uh, from operations to accounting, different places. And then you would eventually land at a place and that would be your home. And so there was a leader and I didn't really know him at the time. He was a regional vice president and he came down because he knew that I, I was a college athlete and he knew that I played in college and he was very involved in youth sports. So he taps me on my shoulder one day and he asked me to come to his office 
And he starts to tell, introduce himself and tells me about his teams and all the kids he was working with. And would you be willing to come out and watch practice someday? And so I'm like, sure, I'll do that. Now, I had no intention of coaching anyone, uh, but I show up to the gym and there are a bunch of kids there and a bunch of parents there and he's not around. And so I'm waiting for him to show up. Eventually, I'm thinking, OK, I have a ball. Let's get these kids involved in some sort of an activity and get practice going. So I started running the practice and he walks in like 30 minutes into it and just gives me a thumbs up from the door and then he leaves. And so he had this whole idea from the very beginning that he was going to get me involved in this program. And the way he did it, I think, was like a breakthrough for me because it was kind of my way of learning to take a risk and just move into something that I didn't know a whole lot about. I mean, I was a college athlete, but I didn't plan on coaching any kids. He also worked with me, got me into sort of became the mentor in the organization. And I would say that uh, without knowing him, and without taking that risk and stepping into something he wanted me to do, I would have never gotten to where I am today. And so it's just someone who saw something in me that I didn't really see in myself. And he just created the opportunity and the space for me to have to step into it and take ownership myself. And then I just learned that's, that's the way you get things done. You have to be open to moving into places where you're not really comfortable and taking risk. And uh, I thank him for that. His name is Mel. So I, I, he's definitely a, uh, someone that I think about who's had a huge impact on me. Wow. And I bet you reflect on that when you're taking like new risk or you're coaching somebody to step it up maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of beauty and uh, excitement that comes from the unknown. So. Yeah. And I'm sure you're that kind of influencer for many people just getting to know you a little bit. When I'm asking other people down the road, they'll be like, yep, it was Tony, you know, or people are reflecting on this as they listen to this podcast and go, yep, Tony's my person. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I sure so. I'm sure there is. Uh, what final piece of advice do you have for our talent champions? I mentioned those relationships that are key, the relationships to leaders, the relationship to your job, the relationship to other people. What's top of mind for me right now is how impactful learning is, not only to individuals, but to an organization. Because if you think about how things are changing so rapidly, and we have the whole digital transformation of work, and people are not sure what AI, what impact it's going to have on people, I believe that uh, learning has to be, first and foremost, the top priority in an organization because you get things done through the knowledge that's been curated over the years. And so how do you move into these new places? You have to learn and unlearn things. And sometimes we take learning for granted. So I would say no matter what role you have and where you are, make sure that we're spending time really understanding how learning takes place in an organization. Because that's, to me, that's gonna be a key to navigating change and being ready for what the future has in the store. Um, so whether it's a leader understanding how to be a better leader or people recognizing that how do I learn and they have to reflect on the things you do every single day and be able to pull out those learning learning moments where I really learned something from this. And that requires reflection. So I don't know if that's really the type of question you were you're asking, but that's that's kind of my wholesale advice for. No, I love it. And as a ongoing learner and a leader that just loves to learn and coaches others. It's, it's a fabulous 
uh, fabulous answer. And I would also just encourage our audience, and they're already living it because they're listening to these kind of podcasts, is continue to grow and learn. Because the more that you're growing and learning, the more that you're evolving, the more that you can connect to people and motivate them and achieve more for yourself, for your team, for the company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I appreciate what you're doing. I mean, talent is the most important thing. And and if you're bringing in these voices and sharing that with the larger public, that's a wonderful thing. So thank you. Oh, thank you. And this has been so interesting. You have such fascinating perspectives and great research and just so appreciate you making the time to spend time with us. So uh, how can our listeners stay in touch or get in touch with you and continue to learn more? I'm on all the social media outlets. And so LinkedIn, you can find me there. Uh, You can also on Twitter. Uh, I don't do a whole lot of Facebook, but Instagram is another one. And then if you want to email me, uh, tony.bond at greatplacetowork.com. Those are all the different ways you can reach me. Thank you so much. Just again, fascinating information. I love your mission. I love uh, what you're doing because you truly are making the world a better place. I go to bed every night and wake up every day just knowing that that is what we're doing. And so it's a very honorable thing to do. And it's very much needed uh, when you look at the overall experience people are having every single day in the workplace. It's, it's less than favorable. I think we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Job security. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. Okay. Thank you, Donna. Here are the key takeaways from today's show. The mission at Great Place to Work is to build a better world by helping organizations become great places to work for all. We spend most of our waking hours at work, so why not make a workplace where people can flourish and be energized? This is the idea behind Great Place to Work, and through their awards program, they encourage companies to improve their work culture and also help show job seekers where they'll have the best work experience. What makes a company a great place to work comes down to relationships. The relationship employees have with their managers, rooted in trust, respect, and fairness. The relationship the employee has with their work, connecting the individual role to the higher purpose. The relationship between people who work together. The Great Place to Work Awards program has evolved over the years to look across demographics and ensure a diverse workforce has a consistent experience. They measure all the way from top executives to the frontline workforce. The really outstanding organizations create a culture of fairness, including equity across the organization. Along with this comes an executive-level concern with creating a culture of innovation where everyone's ideas are heard and can be executed. The glue holding it all together is transparent and ethical management. Leaders who create a culture of innovation do a simple thing. They sit back and listen, ask questions, and get ideas from the people around them. This is one of the themes that came up last month when I talked with Liz Wiseman about the multiplier effect in episode 25. By carving out time to have meaningful conversations with employees, you can understand what's top of mind for them and make sure they're supported. High turnover is a good indicator to look at your culture, but that doesn't mean you're safe if your turnover is low. There are also people who will stay in the job but essentially shut down when the culture isn't working, and this can be even worse for an organization than turnover. 
Hiring for fit with the mission and values is an important starting point. Periodic pulse surveys can help you evaluate whether you're on the right track. Collect that data regularly, but don't allow it to replace spending time with people. Make changes through a shared process rather than top-down. Looking at the data from great places to work, it's a bit misleading to say that millennials turn over at a high rate. What Tony has seen is that millennials are less likely to stay in a job that isn't a great place to work. When you create a positive work environment that fills their needs, millennials are likely to stay. Regardless of your role, make time to continue to learn. It will allow you to navigate change, bring institutional knowledge forward, and keep improving. Come back for our next episode as we dig more into turnover and retention data. I'll be speaking with two distinguished academics whose fascinating research has recently been published in the Harvard Business Review, exploring reasons why people quit their jobs and how talent champions can be proactive. So sign up at talent-champions.com to make sure you don't miss an episode and that you receive bonus information. And if you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment to rate and subscribe on your podcast player. It really helps us to reach more talent champions. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. Be sure to check out the full Franklin Covey Podcast Network by searching Franklin Covey on your favorite podcast provider.